0: On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, masks are now optional in Ketchikan's schools, and a proposal to be considered on Wednesday would remove nearly all COVID-19 restrictions in schools. Plus, people celebrate a very special date on Ketchikan's cruise ship docks. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Snow likely tonight with accumulation around one inch, lows in the mid-20s, and southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. On Wednesday, snow with rain likely, accumulation around one inch, highs around 40, and light winds. On Wednesday night, partly cloudy with lows in the mid-20s and light winds. Thursday, cloudy with highs around 40 and southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. On Thursday night, chance of rain and snow with lows around 30 and southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. Monday marked the first day since the pandemic began that Ketchikan students have been allowed to attend classes without masks. COVID-19 cases have fallen sharply in Ketchikan since the height of the Omicron surge early this year. While state health authorities still say there's high risk of COVID-19 spread in Ketchikan, looser guidelines implemented by Ketchikan's school board last year mean students no longer have to wear masks at school. Ketchikan's school district reported just 12 cases of COVID-19 last week. And under the school district's four-level COVID-19 plan, that means masks are now optional at Ketchikan's eight public schools. Most high school students KRBD interviewed over lunch on Tuesday welcomed the move.
1: I'm happy. I get to see my friends' faces finally. Uh, I can breathe. So a few more alive, 100%.
2: If COVID levels get worse, then masks should be required again. But I think it's kind of nice and refreshing, I guess, seeing everyone.
0: I'm personally fine with it. I wear masks around the school still, but I'm not going to harass anyone for their option. Voices there from sophomore Alexander Gilly, freshman Ella Schull, and sophomore Nicholas Carr. Registrar Rhonda Bowling says she's glad to see masks optional in school. Every kid I see, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so wonderful to see your beautiful smile. In a survey conducted earlier this school year, students tended to favor looser mask requirements, whereas teachers and staff tended to prefer stricter mask rules. If cases rise again, masks would be back, but that could change if there's a shift in policy. On Wednesday, Ketchikan's school board is scheduled to consider lifting nearly all COVID-19 restrictions at district schools. In other words, masks would be gone for good.
3: Well, the proposal is to make masking optional at all levels and to cease the practice of sending home kids who aren't sick.
0: That's school board member Paul Robbins Jr. He's sponsoring the proposal.
3: I'm basically trying to make it to where we're starting to treat this COVID illness and its new variant, which is uh, uh, not nearly as harmful as the previous ones, as we do other sicknesses. If kids have symptoms, then they go home. If they don't have symptoms, then they stay in school. We shouldn't be removing children from the classroom who aren't sick.
0: He says the district should not send home students who test positive for COVID-19 that do not show symptoms.
3: If a kid gets tested and has COVID, has a positive test, regardless of whether they're actually sick or not, they need to go home under the current policy. And that's what we're trying to change is if they're not symptomatic. If they're not sick, then they shouldn't be going home. And that goes for teachers or students.
0: But what does it mean to be sick, per se? And can people without symptoms still spread the virus? Public health nurse Arizona Jacobs says yes.
2: Bottom line is yes, infected people can transmit the virus, both when they have symptoms and when they don't have symptoms.
0: She's encouraging Ketchikan's school board to take it a little slower.
2: So I just want to caution people into, from rolling back too many at one time. Like Let's be thoughtful about this. Let's do this one at a time. Um, and then maybe we don't need them back.
0: Dr. Timothy Horton at Peace Health Medical Group in Ketchikan says it's not uncommon for people without symptoms to be contagious. About 45% of people uh, that
3: spread it are
1: asymptomatic themselves.
0: The Ketchikan pediatrician says federal guidelines seek to balance the risk of spreading COVID-19 against the benefits of in-person work or school. He points to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's recent decision to shorten isolation recommendations to five days as an example. Jacobs says removing all COVID-19 restrictions might make it difficult to reimpose them if it turns out they're needed again.
2: And it's also really hard to put some of these things back. So if we take masks away completely, can we ever put them back? If we are facing a massive outbreak of a far more deadly variant, can we put them back?
0: Paul Robbins Jr., the school board member who wants to end masks, says yes. If there's a surge in cases or a more dangerous strain arose, the school board could always change the rules again.
3: We could have a special meeting or the superintendent could simply email the board to make adjustments to the start strong plan and it can be approved. What I'm doing is making sure that we're not unnecessarily removing kids from school under the current variants we're dealing with.
0: Ketchikan's school board is scheduled to consider the proposal on Wednesday. Today is a very special day. Sure, it's National Margarita Day, National Walk the Dog Day, and Cook a Sweet Potato Day. But it's also February 22nd, 2022, or put another way, Tuesday, two twenty two, twenty twenty two. 2022 A group of people in Ketchikan gathered to mark the occasion at, when else, two twenty two, And how could they not wear tutus?
2: Yeah, I think our little promo was, um, this never, this only happens once a year. No, this never in your life!
0: That's Elma Parker and Romanda Simpson of the Ketchikan Wellness Coalition. They're standing on Ketchikan's cruise ship docks, dressed in warm coats, jeans, and ballerina skirts.
2: It's such a dreary, like this is such a rough time of year, right? February is actually the hardest time for me personally. And so the girls were all like, did you know it's 2, two, 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 two? Like, it was all 2, two, two, two twos. And so they laughed and said, let's do a 2-2 event. And uh, it was born.
0: Barbara Morgan, a biology professor at the local University of Alaska Southeast campus, says she's a bit of a number geek.
2: I, I love
1: palindrome dates, and this is like the greatest palindrome date ever. I think two twenty two twenty two at two twenty two in twenty two seconds is like what seven twos in a row on a Tuesday. How can this not involve two twos? <laughs> My favorite. Very cool.
0: The event attracted people of all ages, from eight-month-old Amelia Mulder to Laverne John, age 82.
3: I got talked into a tutu. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was plenty of cheer to go around. Jessica Matthews' tutu is a deep royal purple.
1: This is about mental health and doing something fun and adventurous and happy, and so I want to be goofy and silly and fun, and we're gonna find joy this year, joy. <laughs> right?
0: As the moment approached,
1: Dad, I Two
0: warning. The 15 or so revelers gathered next to Dave Rubin's iconic statue, The Rock. And at 2.22, everyone put up two fingers, smiled, and laughed.
2: Three, two, go! <laughs> okay. <laughs>
3: Yay! Yay! Yay!
2: Yay! And
0: <laughs> Not a bad way to spend a very special Tuesday. More now on the school board meeting scheduled for Wednesday. Ketchikan's school board is scheduled to consider inking a contract with a new superintendent. The school board voted earlier this month to hire Michael Robbins. He's a principal in the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta to serve as the district's next head administrator. He'd replace Melissa Johnson, who's served as interim superintendent since Beth Lougie resigned last year. School board member Bridget Madsen declined an interview, but said in a statement that the district used the same template it used for Lougie's old contract. Robbins would be paid roughly the same as Lougy, $145,000 a year. Matson says the main difference is that Robbins would be reimbursed for $5,000, up to $5,000 that is, for moving expenses. Johnson's contract paid $130,000 per year for her work as interim superintendent. If both parties signed the contract, Robbins would start work July 1st. Matson did not respond to an emailed question regarding Johnson's role after Robbins takes office as superintendent. Johnson previously served as assistant principal at Schoenbar Middle School, and before that she was admit- an administrator at Ketchikan High School. Ketchikan's school board will consider approving the contract on Wednesday. The meeting gets going at 6 p.m. in the Whitecliffe building. The meeting is live-streamed online and on local cable channels, and there is time for public comment at the beginning of the meeting. Professor Ian Hartman is expanding his 2020 book on Alaska's black history. Black Lives in Alaska, a History of African Americans in the Far Northwest, is due to come out this fall. His work delves into the history of segregation in Alaska. As KTOO's Yvonne Crumery reports, Hartman wants Alaska history to include everyone who made an impact on the state, not just the white people.
2: Stories of housing discrimination in the 20th century are often set in the lower 48, But Alaska has its own legacy of racial segregation. In his book, Black History in the Last Frontier, Ian Hartman outlines how racial segregation looked in Alaska compared to the rest of the country. For example, housing covenants in Anchorage and Juneau prohibited the sale of houses to anyone who wasn't white. In some instances, they were specifically written to exclude black Alaskans and Alaska Native buyers. And in some areas, these historic boundaries impacted the ways that neighborhoods look today.
1: In Juneau, again, with the with the largest um, minority population being Alaska Natives, you you'd probably find very explicit reference uh, forbidding the sale of a home to anyone who is who is not of quote uh, Caucasian extraction or uh, whites only or uh, able to sell or whatever the case would be, and then there would be these exclusionary clauses that would encapsulate the various um, minority populations.
2: Hartman is a history professor at the University of Alaska. He said it took him some practice knowing what to look for while he was looking through historical documents because the racial language is often extremely outdated.
1: You have to kind of train your eye to to read these documents, but but entire neighborhoods in Anchorage uh, really bear the imprint of uh, racially exclusive buying. In
2: 1948, the Supreme Court ruled that racial covenants like these were unconstitutional. That opened the door for black families to move in. Hartman's book details that in Anchorage, white supremacists burned down the homes of those pioneering black families. These fires and pushback from activists led to the NAACP opening its first branch in Alaska in 1951. The November 1969 issue of Ebony Magazine also printed an article about Alaska's prospects open to black Americans who are willing to work hard. However, the magazine also acknowledged that black men were excluded from the fishing industry in Ketchikan, and black Americans and Alaska Natives had talked about encountering housing segregation in Juneau, Anchorage, and Fairbanks. Harmon's book also details instances where black Alaskans faced further discrimination and racial hostility in the 1970s and 80s, as more and more white people moved to Alaska from the South and brought white supremacist views with them.
1: But I do think that it is. Um, perhaps cultural. I think that there's a, there's a belief among Alaskans, right, the, the famous line, we don't, we don't care how they do it outside, or, you know, we're going to do it our own way. And, uh, and, and that can have quite a, of a costly impact on communities of color who um, may be steamrolled by the process, particularly, again, in kind of the Cold War era when Alaska really boomed in terms of its population. Then, of course, again, with the, uh, with the establishment of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline and the oil boom in the 70s
2: but the 1970s were also the time when Alaskans elected their first black politicians. The first black state representative pushed for a committee to develop a survey on discrimination in Alaska. The group focused on South Central. Hartman details that final report, which showed high levels of housing segregation. It concluded that white residents had deliberately locked minorities out of the housing market and pushed them onto the least desirable land. He says he wrote the book after years of reading the same stories of the history of Alaska, which left out whole communities of people. And he says that while there is a historical era of racial tension that has to be confronted. I think
1: we have to be realistic about where we're at. And you know, if if you were to look at um, life expectancy, access to health care, access to quality education, um, generational transfers of wealth, things like that, I mean, you know, Alaska still does bear um, the, the imprint of the historical legacy of, um, of racism and racial inequality.
2: Hartman says he wants people who read his book to see the value in the state's diversity. In Gino, I'm Yvonne Cromery.
0: And finally tonight, we have a correction for a story that we ran last week about the death of a Southeast Alaska man who was reported as an overdue boater. Steve Peavy failed to return home to Myers-Chuck on Monday, February 14th, and his body was discovered the following day on Tuesday, February 15th. That's all for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can get this show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app or on your smart speaker by asking it to play the KRBD Evening Report. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Eric Stone.